Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Open your Bibles to Genesis 22. As all the papers fall out of mine. You guys doing well? Uh, why don't you join me in prayer just to start this off on the right note. God, I thank you for this time, Lord, that you've gifted me to get up here uh, and speak to this congregation, Lord, about the things that you've taught me. God, and I pray that the things that, that uh, you've taught me in this last little while, Lord, I would be able to get across, and in all things, God, that I would bring you the glory. And I pray that you would really speak to every single person in this congregation, Uh, and that your word really resonates with them, and that they wrestle with things, but Lord, they come back to you stronger. We're so grateful for you. We love you, God. All the glory to you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. So just going to read it, start off. Uh, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up. And there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of cities of their enemies, and through your offsprings all nations of the earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. How many of you know exactly what your life is going to look like, you know, 5, 10, 15 years from now, and has, has always known? Hmm, fascinating. 
All right, so uh, how many of you, like I said, how many of you plan to be right where you are in your life? Okay, so none of us. Glad we're on the same page with that one. Uh, you know, our lives are so foolishly complex sometimes. Like for me, I'm constantly trying to juggle the like seemingly never-ending flow. For me, it's schoolwork, but also commitments to people that I seem to never say no to. Uh, sometimes I feel like I'm bending over backwards just to keep my head above the water. Uh, life is so complicated sometimes, and it's hard to see the forest through the trees. But the forest is there. But how can we tell ourselves that when we're in the thick of it? What about in our faith? You know, sometimes we feel like we're stumbling around in the dark trying to find what we're looking for. How many of you have, like, woken up in the middle of the night, you know, like one or two, uh, and you're just, your throat is so dry, right? And you look beside your bed, and... It's like your water glass is empty if it's even there. And you just kind of like lay there and you're like, ah, really? And your throat's like razor blades, so you can't even say really. It's more like, <laughs> so anyway, you, you fall out of bed pretty much and you walk out your door, but you don't turn on any lights, right? Because you don't want to wake anybody up. And you're walking all the way, you walk down the stairs, you fall down the stairs. Uh, you fall, tripping, making a big racket. You get to the kitchen, you fill up some water, and you've already broken up the whole house, right? Uh, I've definitely done that before, right, Dad? Uh, but, you know, why didn't we just turn the lights on in the first place? Like, it would have been easier. We'd, it would be so much better, but for some reason, we don't. Uh, and, it, you know, it doesn't really work out for us. Uh, even though we think it's better to stumble around a little bit because we know our house so well. In the same way, God has a plan laid out for our lives, and his plans are perfect. We need to remember the perfect in the perfect plan. We can say, like, oh, God has a perfect plan, but they're not words if we don't remember that it's perfect, that there, there's no flaws. Even when it seems like we don't know what direction we're going in, God does. So, like, we talked about this passage, we read this passage, but let's take a minute to explore what was going on in Abraham's head. Uh, this is a man who, for the most part, finally had it all together. Uh, Jason preached a bit about this week. Uh, he was promised a son, and he finally had a son by the time this passage came around. And with a son comes a legacy. He'd settled in Beersheba after uh, going around for a bit, and he had a pretty sweet deal with God. He had a covenant with God. Uh, <laughs> More than a sweet deal. <laughs> then one day, God out of nowhere says, Abraham, take your only son. Your beloved son and sacrifice him in a place where I show you. Whoa. Right? Abraham's world was turned upside down. But he must have been absolutely sure it was God speaking or else. How would he qualify going? You know... I don't, don't really want to think about this because it's so awkward, but like facing Sarah. Any of you think about that when he was reading it, how he's going to explain this to Sarah? It's like, hey, uh, hon, I, uh, oof, how do I say this? I'm going to go, uh, I got to go for a walk with Isaac in the morning. Uh, I'll see you later. Don't make supper for me. Bye. Okay, thanks. <laughs> see ya. It's like, 
honey, where are you going? He's like, yeah, 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 it's all good. It's something God said. See ya. What about Isaac? Yeah, yeah, don't worry about him. It's like, it's like okay, <laughs> okay, Abraham, whatever you say. But then there's the three days uh, to get to the place where the Lord chose. And I'm just going to take a quick aside to talk about the actual geography of the binding of Isaac. Um, you know, we're told that Lord designated a place in the region of Moriah. Uh, the region of Moriah that we know is, um, you know, Jerusalem on the hill. But this, this probably wasn't this place um, for, for two main reasons. One is because uh, Abraham asked Isaac to carry the wood for the burnt offering, and there's lots of wood in Moriah, so that wouldn't really work. Plenty of trees in Jerusalem. Uh, so this couldn't be in two. Abraham was traveling from Beersheba, uh, and a three-day journey would typically take someone about 40 kilometers. So I made a quick Google search. How far is Beersheba to uh, Jerusalem? And it's about 90 kilometers away. And I was like, oh, man. 90 kilometers doesn't equal 40 kilometers. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> so, you know, with, the, with these three days of traveling by the way, uphill, so probably pretty tired. Uh, Abraham had a lot of time to think about what was going to happen and ruminate it, in it on it, uh, on what is to come, but he also had to do this while he's walking with the son whom he was to sacrifice. You know, we've we got to think about that for a second. That's terrifying. Firstly, you know, to Abraham, you know, he might have been thinking, like, why is God turning back on his promise of an offspring? You know, Abraham's son was his pride. It's been really hard. And secondly, why murder? Why a human sacrifice? And why sacrifice his son? You know, Abraham was surrounded by these things and places near him where the God, like he saw places near him where, you know, the supposed God, Baal, uh, you know, needed human sacrifices and people were being sacrificed, you know, left, right, and center. But this isn't really, this doesn't really line up with, to Abraham anyway, at the beginning. What's really going on? So he's kind of got um, not only this crisis of, I don't want to do this, but this doesn't really perfectly line up. So like I said, he was in a crisis in his life, but also his faith. And as we now know, God had no actual intentions of letting Abraham kill Isaac, but he needed Abraham to lay everything down, everything he had, even though uh, it appeared that everything was on the line and all that he had was lost. He had to let it all go and follow God. But he did. And God gave him high praise. He said, now I know that you fear God. You know, one of the things that comes up in this passage to move forward is that, you know, what would God actually gain from this? It's something to be wrestled with. I mean, why does God need something from us? He could provide it for himself. We know he can. He made the heaven and the earth. He made us in, our, in his image. Uh, like we said in the song, um, he put the stars in the sky and he knows them by name. So why does he need a sacrifice? You know, the idea with Baal was that he put humans here to like feed him. So that's neat, I guess. Um, but, you know, God doesn't need this. He, you know, he's all powerful. So, you know, why would he need that? He can provide it for himself. I thought about this a lot, and uh, it came up a lot, actually, when I was working through this passage, researched it a lot, and I think what I came across is probably can best be explained through an example. 
And this will tie into a couple of other things I'll talk about. Um, it's about a certain kind of friend, and you probably have all had this friend. Oh, sorry, I'm a little bit confused. Um, how many of you have someone in your life who loves you? Right? Okay, so we're all on the same page again. Um, I'm going to use my dad as an example of this, because, well, you know, Abraham's a dad. We're talking about dad things. So brace yourself there, dad. Uh, you know, I know dad loves me. I mean, he's supposed to, right? <laughs> In all seriousness, uh, I know dad loves me, and I love dad uh, with all my heart. And, uh, you know, but why do we know? Let's think about it in that, our relationships. Why do we know that we love each other? How do you know that someone loves you? Well, you know, the easy answer is, and this is probably the most obvious answer, is that, you know, they tell you. It's like, all right, see you, love you, bye, click. Or like, yeah, I'm going, I'm taking the car, see you, bye, <laughs> love you. <laughs> um, but love is deeper than that. It's not just words. If dad only told me he loved me and, and cared about me, that would, of course, that would be all well and good. Um, but it wouldn't mean a lot to me unless I saw it in his actions. You know, Dad hears me out. He gives me advice. He points me in the right direction, and he wants the best for me. You know, he taught me how to drive, and he, uh, he humbles me when I need some humility, which is a lot. Uh, <laughs> he's constructive, and if he never told me he loved me, I would know through his actions. You know, similarly, God knew that Abraham loved him. But we look at Abraham's life, and every time before this, Abraham, when Abraham did something for God, for instance, leaving his family, as Jason talked about, he was promised something in return. But not this time. Abraham needed to show God that he loved him unconditionally, and that there was nothing that stands in between Abraham and God. So then why does God test if he already knows our hearts? That kind of comes up. It's like, okay, well, we're saying it, but God also knows it, right? But the last kind of concept we explore also applies with this question. God needs our faith to be more than words and thoughts. God needs our faith to be uh, more than words. It says, uh, is echoed in James 2.17, on uh, the second half of this passage where it says, Faith without works is dead. This appears as well on the Gospels, particularly in Luke 18, 18 to 29, if you want to open up your Bibles to that. It'll be on the screen too, I believe. Uh, it's the rich in the kingdom of God. So a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's talking to Jesus. And letters in red. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. 
Those who heard this said, who can be saved? When Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we've left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brother and sister or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and the age to come, eternal life. Abraham was asked to give up his son. What Jesus is trying to get across here is that, you know, we as Christians, we've got to be willing to give up everything that we have and everything that we are. You know, Abraham's legacy was everything he is, everything he was. And his family is everything he was and everything he was to be. But he had to give it up for the sake of God. Again, to talk back to what Jason said, in Genesis 12, Abraham had to leave his father's family, the people that he knew and grew up with, and his country for the Lord. But he was promised a son, right? And that greatness and the legacy that comes with that. You know, after a quick cost-benefit analysis, especially the fact that it's God speaking to him, the majority of us would probably take God up on the offer. You know, especially if it means we receive something we've longed for our whole lives. But like I said, this time God needed from something from Abraham without a reward. Abraham was asked to do something out of blind faith. And God keeps his promises. And he had to do it in the faith that God keeps his promises. Hebrews 11, 17, and 19 describes this well. If you can put that up on the screen. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God said to him, it is through Isaac that your offsprings will be reckoned, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a matter of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Well, that answers the question for me, I guess. <laughs> that God can raise us from the dead. I gotta be honest with you here. In the early part of my preparations to teach today, or to preach today, you know, this passage weighed very heavily upon me. You know, I would study for a couple hours and do a little bit of research, but I would be left, you know, obviously it feels so good to dig into God's word, but, you know, it's so heavy, this idea of, you know, sacrificing your son. And what that must have felt like. For a while, I actually found it hard to see the purpose of the nature of this test. Like I said before, the gravity of the, the relationship between a father and son has been very real to me. It's never been lost on me. Like I said, dad's always been for me, been there for me. Ten years ago, I had my first encounter in my faith. You know, and I might not have gotten there at that specific time if it weren't for, you know, God, dad leading me there. You know, we say, like, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And the, making them drink is God's job, but, you know, dad led me to water. You know, he had encountered God uh, in a mysterious and powerful way a couple months before. Um, him and mom, both, and they began to pour into us. It was Alyssa and I at the time, more and more. And on Easter of that year, I had my first encounter with Christ. 
and accepted him into my heart and committed to follow him for the rest of my life. I, I couldn't get over, you know, the abundant love that God, Christ had on the cross, and I couldn't stop picturing it. You know, a well of emotion of how much he loved me. And that had all been, in part, you know, illustrated by Dad. You know, when I'm a father, my greatest hope is that I can help my children see God's glory to the point where they can accept Christ in their hearts for themselves. I'd be so proud. And I would assume that Abraham's relationship with Isaac was similarly important. Uh, they call Isaac a boy, which kind of indicates, just based on the culture, that he was 13 years old, or he would have been younger than 13 years old. And, you know, just the depths of the relationship was evident in the fact that, you know, Abraham had him carry the wood for the burnt offering, but not the fire. And it's like, oh, yeah, 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 just carry this. That's kind of what we think at first, but... You know, the parents in this room, I'm sure you can sympathize with this, that maybe Isaac wasn't ready to carry the fire. But he was strong enough to carry the wood, so Abraham gave him the wood and wanted to grow him and push him, but not hurt him. That kind of shows, illustrates the dynamic a little bit. It's a certain dynamic that fosters trust, understanding, and growth. Moving forward, the biggest difference between Abraham and my father is that, well, dad hasn't plotted to kill me. <laughs> that I know of. <coughs> In all seriousness, though, it's un inconceivable that dad would kill me, especially after a three-day trip of, you know, this bonding that we're talking about. You know, I also find it difficult to see why God would want him to do this. Throughout the first five books of the Bible, God condemns human sacrifices and the societies around Israel at the time, or the Israelites, his offsprings and those before as well. So then why would God ask Abraham of this task specifically? Why not a different test, you know? Other things that the Bible tells us that God doesn't change, that he's the same throughout. We say that he's the anchor in the storm and the rock. But then why did God change his mind seemingly at the last minute? I alluded to this a little bit before, but I would argue that God did not change his mind. But rather, he did not plan on letting Isaac die in the first place. But he needed to know that Abraham would be willing to sacrifice everything for the covenant that they had decided on before. Is this beginning to sound a little familiar? No? Yes? You know, this is where this event points so clearly to Christ. That's where I'm going with this. <laughs> um, God needed Abraham to show him that he would be willing to give up his son for his sake, just as God would give up Jesus for all of Abraham's offsprings and all of the world. God knew that Abraham was committed to following him, but he needed him to show it, like I said before. Just as he would pour out his love through his son for Abraham's seed and for all of us. You know, God is painfully aware of the hurt and the love that one has for his offspring. You know, he sees, he had seen the fall of man, and he, he sees man every day falling away from him. And he and he sacrificed his son 
told God's only son as well. For all of us, God knows love. He also knows what it takes to show unconditional love and what it takes to hold up his side of the covenant. So much so that he made a new covenant with us through Christ Jesus. So what about us in all of this? Talked about Abraham a lot. Talked about God a lot. I hope you see that. <laughs> um, but are we willing to follow God if there's nothing in it for us? What are we to do when things get hard and when the outcome isn't clear? You know, we need to wrestle with that. Sometimes I think that we aren't willing to even though we say we are. Because like I said, it's a lot easier to say it than it is to feel it and mean it and live it out. You know, I'm guilty of this too, certainly. Let's think about the consequences of a relationship like that objectively. This is the friend story I was going to tell earlier when I slipped over my words. So think about, uh, you know, I'm sure you've all had relationships like this. I certainly have. A friend that always told you that they cared about you. You know, you spend some time with them. Uh, you know, you have good conversations, maybe over coffee. Uh, you're spending time with them and their families. Uh, you're going to do things, going to the movies. Uh, maybe even going to church together. I don't know. You'd consider them a friend. And they would consider you a best friend. They're always telling you it, right? And I was saying, Nick, you're my best friend. I'm like, ah, gee, thanks. You know, things get tough for them and you're there for them. Right? You're being a good friend. But then things go awry in your life. Even just starting off simple, like, you've got to move. You call up your friend and you're like, hey, Abraham. <laughs> Uh, can you, can you uh, come give me a hand? I'm moving, so I just need some help lifting some uh, Ottomans. I don't know. Some uh, vases. It's like, he's like, oh, yeah, 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 no sweat. Click. You're waiting for him. He doesn't show up. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah, whatever. And you keep helping him out. You keep hanging out. You don't really take it too seriously. Maybe you just forgot. Not a big deal. And then things actually start to get tough for you, and you just need someone to talk to. You call up good old Abraham, and you say, hey, man, you know, I'm having a really rough time, and I need someone to talk to. He's like, yeah, 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 definitely. No sweat, I'll talk to you. I got your back, man. You're my best friend. You're like, okay. Click. Hang up the phone. I don't know if anyone uses landlines anymore, especially ones that you have to click in. But um, then they're not there. They don't show. They don't talk to you. They don't hear you out. You know, this keeps happening over and over and over again. And they keep claiming the friendship. But how would you feel? You know, you always being there for them. And they keep saying the right things, but they're never there for you when times get tough. What kind of relationship really is that? In the same way, God doesn't want an empty relationship with us. You know, one pastor, uh, you know, I know said in one of his sermons, God is not a break glass in case of emergency kind of God. He's not just there when we need him. He's there always. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And, you know, as another pastor I know who's also, you know, here, 
said. <laughs> we can't use God as fire insurance for hell. He's told me that all the time preparing. You know, God is so much more than that. He's not just a tool to get into heaven. We need to seek out strong relationships with God because he wants one with us so desperately. So why then do we compartmentalize God? Why do we only use him when we have to break the glass in case of emergency? You know, why do we only look at God in future terms when we get to heaven? We often say that, like, our goal is that when all is said and done, you know, we've all said this, is that we hope to hear God tell us, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, that's an amazing aspiration, something that I certainly hope for. But when we only look at that, we miss what's going on right now. Why don't we ask ourselves what it would be like to hear God say, now I know that you fear God. You know, in a literary sense, these sentences are different. The first one is talking about things looking back. Well done, it has passed. And that's a great thing. I'm not taking that away. I still seek that. I still hope for that. But now I know that you fear God, that you are actively fearing God, that you're with God, that it's going on right now. We shouldn't put God in a box and say, I can't wait till he says this when we're in heaven. I can't wait to get to heaven. But it's not like God's only in heaven. You know, our relationship with God, yeah, it's in the future, and it's in the past. But a relationship is also right now, most importantly. It's ongoing. And we need to pursue it right now. Like I said, it's not a bad thing to strive for those first words. Not at all, but we need to consider. Are we in it for the reward? Are we in it just for heaven? Or are we in it for the God who loves us so desperately and sent his only son for all of us? see a page you know I brought a lot of questions forward this morning and you know I hope that I've answered most of them for you and they really need to be wrestled with and still unpacked questions like you know what was God's purpose in this with Isaac why does God test us why does God need a sacrifice are we only focused on heaven and why do we treat God as a tool just to get into heaven and we compartmentalize him like I said, I can challenge you because I'm not going to be able to, you know, say everything about this one specific passage, let alone all these questions before 12 or 12.15, <laughs> depending on when you guys start to fall asleep, depending on when I run out of pages. Uh, but the one last question I want to leave you with is that does normal life mean life without crisis? We tend to think it does. We want to live easy and normal lives that are fruitful. You know, God always blessing us. We always praising God. I'd be lying to you if I said I didn't. Got to be very real with you guys for a little bit. So just bear with me. You know, a month ago or so, I had, I had a big paper I had to write. 4,000 words. I know. It's like, wow, wow, Nick, stop complaining about school. It's like, yeah, I know. I wish I could too. But I had a 
bunch of assessments. I had a bunch of mini papers. I had a big scholarship, you know, that I was really stressed out about worrying for applying for. I had a lot of commitments, like I said. I have trouble saying no to commitments that I need to keep with people. And I had a sermon that I had barely started working on. <laughs> Sorry, Steve. <laughs> I started feeling like the walls were closing in. You know, I felt so alone. I became so busy that I started alienating the people around me. You know, my friends, the people that were closest to me, you know, my family, I would spend hours and hours studying in my room and that was it. You know, I've, I've struggled with mental health for a couple years now and, you know, I had things under control for a long, long time. I spent a long time praying and had learned resources. You know, God had put things in my path that I couldn't miss. I was getting better, and I was better, and it was all under control. I'm not saying it's gone away, but, you know, things were so good. But I wasn't even replying to texts for days on end. Something as easy as writing a couple characters on my phone, which I'm sure if you've seen me, it's not that hard to see me on my phone. <laughs> um, but it was like those things all vanished in that moment. It's a bit of a crisis. I wanted to give up. And I had one of the worst panic attacks I've had in years. It was so foreign to me because, you know, all the things were going on, I couldn't handle it. But things have been so good, so under control for so long, for over a year, right? And I didn't even remember what it felt like to have one of those attacks. I was under sleeping, but lying in my bed all day for long, long hours. You know, I wanted to forget the application, fail the essays, give up on all my commitments, and drop out of my program. I was sinking deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into my bed. Like I said, the walls felt like they were closing in, and boy, was I suffocating. It lasted two or three days, and I've been praying and studying the word like I normally would, but like all my other relationships, I couldn't feel anything. I was lying in bed after school that Friday, and a really important thought came into my head. You know, one that God had graced me with before, and that he had put into my path, but one I hadn't had to think about in a long time in a very long time. And I know it wasn't me, because I was so stupid. <laughs> in that moment, I couldn't think at all. I couldn't think straight, and I couldn't think healthily. But this was something that God had told me. This is something I held fast to for a long time, and I was reminded of it. You know, I had a, a moment to think, for once, and God just filled it. And it was this. Am I going to waste away in this bed forever, or am I going to live? And live, not only live, but live for God. God has a purpose for me, and what can I do for the kingdom from my bed? And that really hit me, and it filled my senses, and I literally couldn't study anymore. And it was like energy came over me. It was like God saying, just get up. 
So the first thing I did was I got up, called my friend, and went to the Onslow Fi Belmont Fire Brigade auction. <laughs> and I impulse bought a Zeppler. <laughs> that doesn't work. <laughs> the belt's broken. It kind of like rings. It's kind of annoying. Anyway, I guess I won't listen to my Titanic cassette soundtrack cassette for another you know a couple of weeks, I guess. That was very off topic, but I did see Clint. So shout out to Clint. <laughs> um, he was busy, though. <laughs> but that's beside the point. Though that friend I went with, I was able to have an opportunity with him, and I know this was God, that in my preparations for my sermon, I was able to speak to him about God and his love and who God really is and smash any misconceptions. It was an opportunity that I'd been praying for, but I, I didn't know if I could get. You know, what I'm trying to convey in the story is that sometimes we forget that eternal life starts right now. That our sins have been atoned for, and we have a covenant with the enduring, everlasting God. As Abraham said, El Olam. Enduring God. But when things got rough, he was holding on to that. But when God provided for him, it became Jehovah Yireh. The Lord will provide. The God who provides. You know, the same names that Abraham called him is names that we still call God. Those are not things necessarily of the past. They are things of the future. But more than that, they're ongoing you know, those things are true right now. We stumble, we fall, but God can help us back up. We might know what direction we're going in, but if we've learned anything from Abraham, it's that God knows what is good and he's got a plan. And if we've learned anything from Jesus, it's that God wants us and he's willing to sacrifice something as important of a son to have us forever. He knows love. Therefore, we need to get to know how he loves we need to constantly spend time trying to get to know God. You know, we can get to know God through things like his word, and that's, you know, that's to me, that's one of the best ways to just get to know who God is, his character, and how he acts in situations that, you know, us foolish humans, you know, put, it, put before him to deal with. You know, we need to dig into that word, you know, this huge, uh, bulletin-filled Bible that I've got right here. And hold fast. We need to hear what God is saying to us and not what we want to hear. We need to pray continually and rejoice always in the good news, as Paul said to the Thessalonians. We need to get to know him in his word so that it makes things come to us when we're in the thick of it, when we can't see it. Because when times get tough, it's hard to pull out the Bible and give your full attention. It's really hard to hear what God is saying to you. So if we equip ourselves, if we prepare ourselves, if our tool belts are full, again, Clint, uh, then we will be prepared when these times happen. You know, God had equipped me for what was going to happen all those years ago. He equipped me for it. 
I was able to get out of it. But not by any doing of my own. Not by my own strength. Not from dad telling me to get out of bed. Through God. We need to be equipped with his word. Because when things are going wrong, and when we can't see the forest through the trees, God can. We need to seek God and strive a relationship with him. And trust that God is good and that he doesn't change. That he has a plan and he wants us. Abraham knew God personally. And he knew and trusted that he'd keep his promise. And as Hebrews says, that he would raise his son from the dead. So let's get to know him. In this passage, we're given just a glimpse of the unfathomable mind of God. And what do we see? We see love. We see love for us, love in action, perfect love. And though we might not be able to see it yet, a perfect plan. 1 Corinthians uh, 13, 12 says, if you can put it up on the screen, I think it's there. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. We might not know where we are now or where we're going, but God does. Will you stand with me in prayer? Lord, we come together humbly in your name, God. You are so good. Lord, you're so good to us. You're unchanging, you're enduring. God, you provide for us. Lord, you're for us when we can't even be there for ourselves, Lord. And we're so grateful for you. And God, I pray that in this room, we would all be able to pursue you more fervently and more strongly, digging into your word and getting to know who you are and living out as to prove to you that we are who we say we are. God, we love you. And we're so grateful for your love. All the glory to you in your precious name we pray. Amen.